everybody wow we're actually back we're actually doing it can you believe it i i can't really believe it to be honest with you um what a shock do you think this was over i kind of thought it might be for a while too but uh here we are it's been a while thank you to everyone who has uh, stuck around through the ph5 drought Really appreciate you guys for tuning in and listening as we continue on with our monthly series about my favorite music of the past month. Um, so let's just get this out of the way and address this massive elephant currently crowding up our living room. Um, August. So, we did not have an episode in August. What the hell happened? Um, I mean, if I'm being 100% honest with you, I just wasn't really feeling it. Um, few reasons. Just, uh, was kind of in a bad place mentally for a while there. Um, recording a podcast was certainly not top of mind during, uh, those times. And, um, I mean, not to mention that, but August really sucked. August was certainly one of the worst music release months since I've started doing this podcast. So a combination of just kind of being too depressed to do it, plus not even really having that much to talk about, it's like, why would I put you guys through that crap? You know, you don't want to hear that. You come to this for, uh, you know, thoughtful analysis and funny anecdotes and all that. You don't want to hear my fucking whimpering ass going on about how shitty the music was. That sounds terrible. Uh, so you know what, let's just quickly right now, let's talk about August, just get it out of the way, and uh, we're gonna go in, talk about September with a completely fresh perspective, new state of mind, and uh, a new invigored, reinvigorated, invigorated? Vigored. Uh, we're approaching September with vigor, and this episode with vigor. So, hope you like Vigor, because there'll be much Vigor to be found in this episode. August, uh, there were like three albums I liked, okay? Um, there was the Panda Bear and Sonic Boom album, which was great, Reset. That's probably the, the, the one I listened to the most in August. Um, just like really elemental music, you know? like bordering on nursery rhyme-esque, just, just so obvious, you know? I don't really know how to describe it. Music that seems to, uh, just spring up from the ground, if that makes any sense. So that was a great record from August, let's put that as number one. Um, number two, there was this album by the band Thought Crimes, who features the ex-drummer from Dillinger Escape Plan, one of my all-time faves. Um, their album kind of does a similar take on DEP style stuff, you know, math quarry kind of goodness, uh, but with some more like more melodic things thrown in there too, you know, kind of in a similar vein as uh, Dillinger would do. And uh, there's actually this one song called New Infinities that I basically listen to on repeat for two straight weeks. And so another great album there. Check that one out, Thought Crimes. And last but not least, there was the Rock Marciano, or is it Marciano? I don't know. That was another great record, so check those out. Otherwise, fuck August, you know? Waste of a month, really. 
How was everyone's September? Back to school, I guess? Yeah? Uh, I went to Newfoundland. Don't know if you guys have heard of that place. It's a giant island in the ocean. Uh, lots of family there. Uh, didn't really have a great time, to be honest with you. I was fucking bored for most of it. There was like a hurricane that came, and uh, about five of the nine days I was there, I was trapped inside. Just uh, watching uh, America's Got Talent with my dad. Uh, so, you know, uh, not amazing. But uh, there was some actually great music that came out in September, so I'm excited to get back into it, excited to talk about it, and get back into the swing of things here at PH5, at PH5HQ, aka this desk in the corner of my apartment. Um, again, thank you everyone for sticking around. I know a two-month break is a pretty long one, and it's very likely that I lost a lot of people in this kind of silent period. So if you're still here, that's awesome. Tell your friends about this podcast, I'm sure. Uh, I can't think of anything more exciting for a random stranger than listening to another random stranger give their opinions on music of the past few weeks. So spread the word, you know? We're trying to bring it back uh, Big Philly style, all right? Anyway, let's get into it. Um, we're talking about September 2022 and the wonderful releases found within said month. This is Phil May. I'm back. We're back. PH5 is back. Let's get into it. Thank you once again for sticking around. Okay. Let's do it. So, coming in at number five for September 2022, we have Bjork with Fulsora. It's a made-up word, so it doesn't matter if I pronounce it wrong. There's no right pronunciation, because it's not real. It's a, it's, a, it's a fake word. She just made it up, so I can really... I can pronounce it any way that I want to. Or, actually, maybe I should ask Bjork the correct pronunciation, since as she did create it, she kind of has agency over the pronunciation. I think that's how that works. Um, so, I've never been a really big Bjork guy, to be honest with you. Um, in fact, the last time I really tried to get into Bjork was when she released uh, Volnacura back in, what was it, 2015 or something like that. Um, and, yeah, that album really messed me up. It was about... Uh, it was about her breakup with her husband at the time. And it was just so raw and vulnerable. And um, I was going through something similar. And it, I just couldn't do it. Um, like, the heartbreak that she expressed on that album was just hitting a little bit too close to home for me at the time. And, uh, yeah. It, 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 I don't want to say triggered me, but it, it really fucked with me listening to that record. And ever since then, I've been kind of, like, afraid to listen to Bjork. Um, because, like, it's nice to listen to music that you resonate with, but it's also, like, oh, this is, uh, you know, like, you're making my feelings a little bit too real right now. And sometimes you just want to escape. So, I've been kind of steering clear from Bjork, kind of, like, uh fear of uh getting emotionally fucked up by her again 
but fortunately this new record is a lot more positive and um, not as rooted in intense heartbreak as that one was so you know I was like I can I can deal with this one I can check this one out this should be a good time anyway so she's described this recent one as being inspired by um, mushrooms now not in the sense that most musicians mean when they say something's inspired by mushrooms like psilocybin mushrooms um, I, she's like actually talking about like mushrooms like you know just your your average everyday mushroom you see in the ground so what the fuck does that even mean like how do you how do you make an album inspired by mushrooms I don't know but in a weird way she's kind of done it like I kind of get where she's coming from when she talks about that inspiration um, the album features if I recall correctly uh, a lot of songs written around this kind of collection of six bass clarinets and there's really something about the, the tone and the sound of these bass clarinets across the record that feel really earthy and um, grounded, if you will. Okay, I guess it's just the, the lower frequencies and whatnot, but like, if I could imagine a mushroom making a sound, I would imagine it making the sound of a bass clarinet. <laughs> Again, whatever the fuck that's supposed to mean, I don't know. But when you listen to the record, I hope you kind of get a sense uh, of what I'm trying to talk about. So, a lot of the album is... I mean, I don't want to say standard Bjork fare. Uh, I mean, her vocal intonations are... I mean, you kind of know what you're getting when you're listening to a Bjork record and listening to her sing. You know, off-kilter melodies and lyrics that, uh, you know, kind of go against what you're expecting to hear at the time. Um, and I'm not really, to be honest, super interested in that or the songs on this record. But what really struck me as really interesting about this album is the production and the actual instrumentals. So she takes on dance music, or at least highly rhythmic music, but through a completely different lens than, you know, EDM or, or techno or house or anything like that. She seems to kind of recreate this idea of dance music in her own um, very mushroom-based image. Uh, the beats feel... They feel raw, you know? Like, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these beats were actually performed live instead of programmed into whatever kind of software. And this kind of mix of the kind of raw, you know, drum hits with uh, the orchestral bassy clarinets and uh, strings that she incorporates, she almost kind of creates this new genre of, uh, of dance music. And... There's a few instrumentals on the album that I honestly almost prefer more than the actual song songs themselves, just because uh, they just sound really cool. She's making really cool, interesting noises, I guess you can say, and the vibe is really, really interesting. Like, the whole album, you just kind of feel like you're like in this cave with bioluminescent mushrooms that are kind of glowing in time with the music, and Bjork's there kind of doing her Bjork wizardry shit, and it's a really interesting experience. Um, yeah, again, never having been a huge Bjork fan my whole life, um, there's nothing here that really 
moves me or or sticks with me really strongly because I feel like you need kind of a predisposition to her music to really get into it to the fullest extent that you can. But, you know, all that being said, I, I really enjoy this record. I really enjoy just listening to it and kind of letting it wash over me. And again, it's really fascinating how this deep into her career, she still manages to innovate and come up with fresh new ways of doing her Bjork thing. Um, plus, yeah, she made a way to like make mushrooms into music, which is pretty sick. Not everyone can do that. So, coming in at number five for this month, we have Bjork with Fossora. Should I get back on my ridiculous made-up genre of the day tip? Uh, yeah, why not? So, for this uh, album, the ridiculous made-up genre of the day, we're gonna go with um, Mushroom Dance. Sure. She really just kind of lobbed that one to me, so appreciate that one, Bjork. Making my job easy over here. Once again, coming in at number five is Bjork with Fossora. A word that doesn't exist, so I can say it however I like. Coming in at number four, we have the latest record from Sudan Archives, Natural Brown Prom Queen. Um, <laughs> so what am I doing here talking about this album? Uh, can I really relate to being a natural brown prom queen in any way? No, not really. Um, that being said, it doesn't even matter because the adventurous spirit of this album is really, you know, you can feel that and, and connect to that no matter who you are or what your background is or what your current living situation is. Uh, you just have to respect her willingness to push herself and create really fascinating, adventurous, you know, borderline experimental R&B, hip-hop music that's kind of unlike anything else that's come out right now. Um, so she kind of traverses a number of different sounds, a number of different genres, and kind of blends them together in a way that is feels really wholly unique to her, really, is the only way I can describe it. Um, I think this album will get a lot of comparisons to Renaissance by Beyonce, just in terms of it, you know, being a, you know, really strong, powerful effort by a really strong, powerful black woman. Um, but where Beyonce kind of has all this clout and uh, the resources to create something as monumental as the Renaissance record that, you know, is pulling samples from dozens and dozens of different source materials and working with dozens and dozens of the best producers on the planet to create this. Um, Sudan doesn't really have those resources to her disposal. So the fact that she's able to create something as monumental as a Beyonce record, I think is really impressive. And whereas on Renaissance, Beyonce is, you know, trying on a lot of these different genres, um, you know, very effectively, of course, uh, there's a lot of precedent for the music that she's making on that record. Whereas on this album, it really feels like 
she's kind of stumbled into something new. Um, you listen to a lot of these songs and a lot of the sounds that Sudan incorporates into her music, and while you can kind of piece together different reference points, uh, she manages to mix it all together in a way that is completely unique to her. And at no point are you going to listen to this record and be like, oh, this is just uh, her doing this kind of song, or her putting on this kind of style. Um, no, she does it in a way that's completely ownable, and it, it's really a fantastic, epic listen from front to finish. Uh, she touches on a lot of themes about, you know, female empowerment and sexuality, and, uh, you know, identity politics, uh, which are extremely effective, and she's a great lyricist, uh, great rapper, great singer, all these kinds of things. But again, being a, you know, straight white guy, um, while I can appreciate those lyrics and those themes, um, it's not necessarily what I connect to. I connect to the adventurous spirit of the music, and, you know, her willingness to take risks with the sounds that she's trying on and incorporating into her songs. Um, I think she does a really effective job of doing new things in a way that is still catchy and, um, you know, kind of ties into R&B and hip-hop in a way that it's still recognizably R&B and hip-hop and it's still, um, you know, the songwriting is still there. The songs are still memorable and, you know, have hooks that will hit for days and whatnot. But it, it just doesn't sound really like anything else that's out there right now. So I think the fact that she's able to create something like this while still being really proudly and fiercely independent in the way that she manages to produce this record and put it all together is really impressive to me and I mean I would say easily more impressive than what Beyonce did. Now I'm not trying to pit these two artists against one another that's not the goal of doing this you know like criticism doesn't have to be this is better than that um, I'm just saying from a personal standpoint um, recognizing that these are two huge records from you know, women who are taking on similar styles of genre and music, uh, I think this one is definitely the more effective. So, coming in at number four, we have Sudan Archives with Natural Brown Prom Queen. Um, and in terms of the ridiculous made-up genre of the day, I think I am going to go with... Here, I'm going to make up a new one here, okay? This is actually pretty good. Diasporarnb. Yeah? Yeah, you like that? Yeah, a little clever uh, portmanteau for you guys. Again, number four, we have Sudan Archives with Natural Brown Prom Queen. Okay, okay, we're really cruising along today. You know, I'm gonna make this one a lean one. I've been really bloating you guys with like these fucking 90 minute long epics. Um, let's just ease everyone back in the whole page five thing. Let's see if we can keep this one under 60 minutes. I think I can do it. Do you guys believe in me? 
Probably not, because I think I say that every episode, and then I end up giving you guys a hundred minutes or so. But, you know, I'm really going to make a concerted effort to keep this short and sweet today. As I do a long-winded talk about nothing that has nothing to do with the episode, therefore increasing the length uh, unnecessarily. Anyway, coming in at number three for September 2022 is City of Caterpillar Mystic Sisters. So, City of Caterpillar are a legendary band. There's nothing really else you can say about them. Um, they were around kind of in the early to late 90s, um, sorry, mid to late 90s, early 2000s, and they were one of the pioneers of the screamo genre. Uh, they released a record or two back then that really, I like, you know, did a lot of work for making the genre as prominent as it was in the underground back then, you know, along with artists like uh, Satia, Page 99. Um, but City of Caterpillar always took on a little bit more of a theatrical, epic approach to their music, incorporating a lot of post-rock sounds and, you know, balancing out their fury with beauty. Um, and, you know, we saw tons and tons of bands emulate that similar thing in the 2000s and even up until today. But they were really the pioneers of, you know, merging the styles of screamo and the, the intensity and extreme emotion of the genre with, uh, you know, those more kind of, um, like I said, cinematic post-rock elements. So, Screamo's kind of having this resurgence right now with a lot of newer bands incorporating the older Screamo sounds into the music that they're making. So I found it kind of interesting that these guys would come back and release a new record. Um, coincidence? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but there's also that little bit of hesitation that you feel it, where it's like, is this band just kind of coming back to cash in on their earlier fame? Um, and there's always that fear when they release or announce that they're going to be releasing a new record because what if it sucks, you know? And then their legacy is kind of spoiled. Uh, it's, it's pretty 50-50 when it comes to bands reuniting and releasing new music. Like, it can really go really bad or, you know, it can actually be pretty good. And this is actually an instance of the latter, thank God. So, they've crafted this record, Mystic Sisters, in such a way that while it definitely still sounds like City of Caterpillar, um, you certainly wouldn't mistake it for anyone else listening to it, it also sounds like, you know, 20 years have gone by. So, while in, in ways it sounds like a natural continuation of their sound, and, you know, makes sense as the logical next step in their music, uh, it also sounds like this is a logical next step that they've made 20 years later. Uh, there's a certain level of maturity to the sound, um, but that being said, they do not hold back on the aggression whatsoever. And this is a really interesting album because it almost at times sounds more noise rocky than screamo-y to me. And when I listen to it, it really reminds me of almost a heavier... Um, more post-rocky, These Arms Are Snakes, which is a weird kind of 
band that I would have never expected to compare to City of Caterpillar. But what's happened is just the way that the record is produced and the way that the vocals have changed from screaming to more of like a abrasive yelling, uh, very similar to what Steve Sneer was doing in at least earlier These Arms Are Snakes, uh, really gives you that sense that this is a band that's matured a little bit beyond Screamo. And it makes sense, you know? Screamo is a genre that when you think of it, you think of, you know, lanky, early 20s, late teens, white guys who are really sad about their girlfriends and whatnot, right? 20 years later, you know, these guys are probably in their 40s, maybe even in their 50s at this point. It's kind of hard to create music that is based in, I don't want to say immature emotion, but I don't really know how else really to describe it. It's kind of immature emotion. Um, so this kind of step towards uh, noise rock and kind of more, more pummeling abrasion kind of makes sense, you know? Because when you get older, when you're an adult, um, things piss you off more. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I feel like your emotions are less rooted in, you know, that kind of sweeping sadness and more in frustration. And I, I hear a lot of frustration on this record when I listen to it. And rightfully so. I mean, you take a look around anywhere and you'll be frustrated. <laughs> Seriously. Um, so it's a really cool, not quite reinvention, but evolution of their sound uh, that just makes sense. And, you know, fortunately, it doesn't sound like them trying to recreate their former glories or their past selves um, or do a retread or anything like that. It's uh, very similar to me to the Gospel album um, that was released a few months ago where it just, it makes sense, it's the logical next step for the band um, in, you know, like a 15, 20 years later kind of context. Uh, you can't make those same music you were making when you were kids because you're not a kid anymore. But that doesn't mean that you can't retain the same emotional intensity or musical intensity or whatever it may be. You just need to kind of find a new frame to uh, view it under. So. Great record, highly recommended. Coming in at number three, we have City of Caterpillar with Mystic Sisters. And the ridiculous made-up genre of the day for this one will be... How about this? Noise post-rock. Sure. Great. Okay, you guys remember the mentions? We're gonna do some of those. You guys ready? Okay, here we go. Mentions. These are the mentions. mentions. All right. So, as always, except for times when I forget how I do this, we will start with the dishonorable mentions for September 2022. Hold on a second there. Mentions. Did you say dishonorable mentions, Phil? I heard a plural in there, and unfortunately, this is true. Um, I've got two, which is kind of sad, but, you know, 
let's just talk about it and work through it and we can all collectively move on. Coming in at the first of two dishonorable mentions, we have Opus Contra Naturam, I guess, by Behemoth. So, Behemoth, Behemoth, Behemoth. Behemoth released maybe the all-time best black and death metal album back in 2014 with The Satanist. Um, that's one of those records that I think everyone can agree is probably the watermark of the genre. Um, these guys have been making fantastic records up until that point, but that is by far their opus. They would agree to it. All their fans would agree to it. Even most death metal fans would agree that that is not only the best Behemoth record, but probably the best in the genre. It's just basically a perfect album. Um, they released another record a few years later, which wasn't quite as good. It was still alright. Um, hold on, need to remember what that one was called. Uh, I Loved You At Your Darkest. Yep, remember that one back in 2018. Certainly not as good as The Satanist, but it still had some good songs on it. But you could definitely tell there was a decline in the quality. And coming up to this latest record, um, it's really fascinating to me because this is only two albums out of The Satanist, which again is a highlight of the genre in general. But there was almost no press or anything about this album up and leading up to its release. To be honest with you, I didn't even know that this album was coming out until the Friday that it released and I happened to see it in the new releases. So that doesn't bode well. Um, but, you know, being a fan of Behemoth and the genre and, you know, heavy music in general, of course I had to check it out. And listening to it, you know, I kind of get why there was no hype leading up to this album because this album isn't really deserving of hype. Uh, it sucks. It's uh, for a record by a band that is renowned for their intensity and just creating like these really strong, powerful black and death metal songs. This thing is really weak, really frail, really limp. Um, the heavy parts seem forced. Everything seems forced. The songwriting is barely non-existent, like, you listen to this whole thing, and by the time you finish, you're like, what the fuck did I just listen to? Was that even an album? It just sounds unfinished, it sounds incomplete, it sounds like no one really tried. Um, the frontman for Behemoth, Nurgle, he's kind of like a celebrity in, um, where are they from? Like, Poland or something? So, maybe he's just too busy doing his celebrity thing these days to really care that much about behemoth music. I don't know what it is, to be honest with you, but um, it's not great. It's just not good. Um, it seems really uninspired. Even the album art, you're looking at it and it's like, oh cool, like another upside down cross. Like, we fucking get it, alright? Um, yeah, there's just nothing here. And it really sucks because this is a band that is capable of creating, like, some of the best heavy music that there is and to see them kind of fall this far is really depressing
And even to this day, I still haven't even seen a single review posted anywhere. Like, I couldn't even tell you what the consensus is of this record, because no one's reviewed it, from my understanding. I, like, I really don't understand what's going on. Makes me wonder if there's, like, something that I missed. Like, maybe the Behemoth guys or Nurgle said something really bad, and they got kind of soft-canceled or something, and that's why no one's even bothering to review it. But... The fact of the matter is that it just sucks, and it's not even really worth reviewing anyway, so... I don't know what happened. I don't know how this band managed to fall so far from grace in, you know, a relatively quick time. Just two records, really. But here we are. Um, yeah. It's a shame, but life goes on. Maybe they'll make another record that's great again someday, but... To be honest with you, I kind of doubt it. Anyway, so, coming in at the first dishonorable mention is Behemoth and whatever the hell the title is, I'm not saying that again. Coming in at the second dishonorable mention, now this one really hurts, uh, is Alex G. God Save the Animals. Um, I think I've mentioned a few times in the show that there are some records that, before they even come out, I've kind of like given them a little placeholder in my list for more or less how I anticipate my ratings will go that month. It's kind of cheating a little bit, but when you really like an artist, um, you have high expectations for them. And going into this month, I kind of reserved my number one spot for a while, thinking that this album would take it. Uh, his last record, House of Sugar, was one of my favorite records of that year that it came out, and it's one that I go back to all the time. It's a, a fascinating record with amazing songwriting and really, really interesting music choices kind of sprinkled throughout it. It's a really cool, really interesting listen. This I really can't say the same for. Um, I purposefully didn't listen to any of the singles leading up to it, Again, just because I was so excited for it to come out, and um, I just wanted to go in fresh and have a completely new experience with this record the first time that I heard it. And it was a kind of a disappointing experience, to be honest with you. Um, I listened to it, got all the way through, and by the end was just kind of like, wait, is, is, is that really it? You know, I thought to myself, maybe it's a grower. You know, I, sh I shouldn't be too harsh. I should wait and give it another chance and see how that goes. So I did, I listened to it again, and I listened to it again, and, um, yeah, no, uh, nothing, it did nothing for me. Uh, the songs all kind of sound like retreads of previous songs that he's made, um, where every Alex G record, you can hope to get some crazy, innovative burst of creativity in his songs that you know, you wouldn't really expect to hear coming. Musical experiments that, you know, even if they don't work all the time, are at least interesting and compelling. Um, there's really none of those on this. This is basically front to back, more or less uh, acoustic, kind of folky-esque. Like, he does a lot of stuff with his auto-tune vocals, which, you know, is cool, I guess, but... He's not pushing himself the way that he used to, is basically what it feels like. Um, 
and I, I don't really know what the cause of that is. I know he took an interesting approach to this where he, you know, wrote all the songs alone in his bedroom and then, you know, went to various studios to record them. And maybe it was kind of that lack of collaboration that made these songs go kind of spare and, and not really that interesting. But whatever it is, it just, it's disappointing because this is a guy who I really do believe is, is one of the greater songwriters of this generation, but none of these songs are really doing it. And you can always count on him too, even if the songs aren't as good, you'll have some interesting music idea there that will make it interesting, but I can't even say that for this either. So, unfortunately, the second dishonorable mention for the month of September 2022 is Alex G. God Save the Animals. Um, some cute pictures of birds on the cover right there. I'll give him that. Okay, the mention for September 2022 is the Callous Dowboys with Celebrity Therapist. Okay, so what do, what, what, what do I want to talk about with this one, alright? Why the mention? It's always an interesting one, isn't it? Um, so the reason why I want to talk about this one is because I wanted to kind of touch on the idea of silliness in music, okay? Uh, apropos considering the, uh, you know, Weird Al Yankovic, Yankovic, Yankovic? trailer came out just a few weeks ago um so that in conjunction with the release of this album just kind of had me thinking about like what place does silliness have in music and i bring this up with this record in particular because callous dowboys the music that they make is um rooted in metalcore for sure but they incorporate a lot of like kind of zany elements into their music uh, in, in a really unique way that really no one else is doing right now. Um, you know, it's it's not that often that you find yourself kind of like giggling to yourself during a metalcore song, but this is the kind of thing that these guys do. And I've been, this record's been out for a few weeks, I've been trying to figure out just how effective the whole thing is, because while it's certainly a really interesting listen, um, again, really unique, not really anyone is making music that really sounds like this, uh, how effective is it really? Like, is this good? Is, is, is this, like, quality music that they've made by incorporating all these different things into it? Let me give you some examples of what I mean by, like, them being silly, you know? So, imagine in your head, like, metalcore riff goes into a breakdown but then in the background you have like those kind of like you know like the sound you hear when you think of like clowns horns like just like shit like that you know or like you know they'll be screaming screaming and then all of a sudden it'll like break into a part where you know some people are being like oh i like your hair just like random things like that inserted into the music and it certainly makes for an interesting ride, but is it good? I don't really know. Um, now, I used to listen to a lot of heavy music that had, we'll say, silly elements to it a lot when I was younger. Um, 
Like, for example, Mr. Bungle was one of my all-time favorite bands for a large portion of my life. And, my god, those guys could get silly. Um, even Between the Buried and Me had their moments of wackiness, you know, where they would break out into, like, a country hoedown in the middle of a song and things like this. And, you know, so I, I kind of have a soft spot for, you know, people not taking themselves too seriously in music. Um, and this is the first record that I've heard that does something like this in a while. And maybe, maybe just because I'm a little bit older and, and more mature now, I, I, I just don't know if it's really working as much for me anymore. Um, I will give them this. The way that they've incorporated these elements into their songs is done really expertly. Like, nothing really sounds out of place. Like, it might sound a little bit strange, but they, they managed to incorporate all their kind of zaniness in, in ways that isn't really all that jarring. Um, it makes sense in the context of the music that they're making. Now that being said, I, I don't really know if this is something that is really that of interest to me. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily do it for me. Um, but I think that it's very much just a matter of opinion. Um, you know, I'm old and jaded and uh, obviously one of the most serious people on the planet. So maybe that's what's holding me back. Uh, I encourage you guys to check it out. And you tell me, do you think this silliness works? Do you think you can make a record of critical acclaim that has like balloon noises sputtering out in the background at some parts? I don't know. Maybe it can be done. I don't necessarily know if they've done it on this record, but maybe it's possible. Maybe one day they'll be able to nail it. In the meantime, I do commend them for trying something different and it really does make them stand out because there's no band out there right now that is uh, making music this intense while simultaneously stupid. So respect to them. So coming in for the mention for uh, September 2022, we have the Callous Dowboys and Celebrity Therapist. And the honorable mention is going to go to No Devotion with No Oblivion. Or is it the other way around? It's confusing when they make their album title uh, kind of the same, but a little bit different than the artist name, because I get confused, like, which is which? Anyway, uh, I, I think... I think No Devotion is the band name. Uh, so, they are uh, a new-ish band that's comprised of Jeff Rickley from Thursday United Nations. Um, maybe like the godfather of emo. Uh, we had a little bit of a debate of that between my friends the other day. I think he's got a pretty good shot of the title though. And the rest of the band is rounded out by... Uh, the remaining members of Lost Prophets. Um, do you guys remember Lost Prophets? So, they were this kind of, you know, alt-hardcore-ish band from, you know, the early to mid-2000s who had one great debut record and then they kind of came onto the, no, uh, the radio with Last Train Home. I'm sure you remember that song. 
for a while it kind of seemed like these guys would be the next big new band. Um, and then their frontman got caught doing some really, really, really bad things. Um, I'm not really comfortable talking about what Ian Watkins got charged with. Uh, you can look that up in your own time if you're really interested. But safe to say he is probably one of the all-time biggest monsters in the history of music. Um, and he is in jail and will probably be in jail for the rest of his life. And he certainly deserves to be there. Um, so, I mean, they obviously had a fall from grace after that. That being said, I mean... Just because that guy was an absolute monster, we can hope and assume that the rest of the band didn't know what he was up to. Um, anyway, so did their career deserve to be completely um, bankrupted by Ian Watkins' actions? I don't know, I don't think so. So, I, in a way, like I'm glad that these guys managed to connect with Jeff Rickley and create this new band. Um, you know, give them kind of a second shot at the music business. And it's also great too because it's actually a great record. Um, so they make what I describe as kind of like heavy new wave, bringing in a lot of the, you know, like that new wave influence of, you know, sparkling synth tones and, you know, drum machine-esque, almost Depeche mode kind of songs. Mixed with, a uh, Jeff Rickley's kind of sense of melodrama and occasional veering into screaming every now and then, but he mostly sticks to uh, clean singing on this album. Uh, entirely self-produced, which is respectable. Uh, it's a record that I think, if not as strongly written, would not be so good. Um, the sounds are fairly derivative. Um, they're not really doing anything new on this record at all. But the uh, the songwriting is really good. And you got to give it up to Jeff for writing some really strong, catchy choruses. Some really compelling um, vocal lines and lyrics throughout. Um, the instrumentals are cool, but again, pretty derivative. Like, if you've heard, if you've heard Depeche Mode, you kind of know what you're in for. Um, and it all kind of lies in the power of Jeff Rickley's vocals and his melodies. Uh, I'd say about half the album is really strong, and the other half is just okay. But the really strong songs are strong enough that you kind of get a sense that this is a band that really has potential to go somewhere and even break through um, and, and get some, not necessarily mainstream, but some, you know, recognition in underground circles, on, on blogs, maybe even a, a song on the radio or two. So, you know, this is kind of why I wanted to put it in the honorable mention, because while I don't think this band is quite there yet, uh, there are some really strong flashes of potential here, and uh, I hope they keep doing their thing, because this definitely sounds like the record that precedes their really good one, if that makes sense. Sounds like their next one could be great. If they keep at this, um, you know, keep the songwriting strong, make sure that the, 
melodrama, doesn't get too melodramatic. Um, yeah, I think they really have something here. So, coming in at the honorable mention for September 2022, we have No Devotion with No Oblivion. These are the mentions. Okay, I've got about 10 minutes to stick to my 60 minutes or under plan. Let's see if I can do it, okay? So, coming in at number two, we have the Mars Volta with the Mars Volta. Uh, okay, I really did not expect to see this coming. Um, and it's funny because at the start of the summer, I had this weird Mars Volta resurgence phase, and here we are at the end of the summer. It's weird to kind of still be listening to them again at this point. Um, so these guys, if you know anything about the Mars Volta, uh, they've been out of business for a while. Um, they started when uh, all-time legendary uh, post-hardcore band at the drive-in went defunct. Uh, Cedric and Omar from that band went and started the Mars Volta, which was kind of a really proggy take on post-hardcore that uh, incorporate a lot of their um, Latin background influences into the songs. And they started out with Delouse in the Comatorium, which is an absolutely legendary classic record. Um, and any fans of remotely underground rock know this record, love this record, and, you know, praise it. And then things get a little bit weird for them. Uh, they continued making records well into the 2000s, uh, and these really kind of went all over the place. They really doubled down on their proggy sound and uh, to, you know, various levels of uh, quality. And it kind of got to the point that by the time they released their last record, Nocturnicate, in 20, I think it was 2012, it kind of seemed like they run out of gas a little bit. Um, there's only so much sprawling, proggy epics you can make without kind of retreading the same sound and uh, running out of that juice. So when I heard that these guys were reuniting and simultaneously releasing a new album, I was pretty wary. Uh, when they released the single back in the beginning of the summer, which again, I think really spurred this early summer renaissance for me, um, it wasn't what I was expecting at all. It was almost like a, you know, Caribbean-infused prog pop song. Didn't see it coming. But that being said, uh, one of my favorite Mars Volta records is Octahedron, which contains their quote-unquote poppier songs, aka songs that aren't 20 minutes long. And I really like that record. I think that it showcases the fact that you know, these guys can also write good, compact songs as much as they can write long, drawn-out, weird ones. Um, so when it kind of came around that that's what this new record would be, a collection of short songs, I, I was kind of excited because I knew that these guys had it in them to be great songwriters. So 
the first time I listened to this record, and it's even a shock to me, if you had told me then that this album would be featured on this podcast this month, I would have laughed at you. Because the first time I heard this record, I fucking hated it. I almost turned it off, like, four times. Um, now, to be fair, I was uh, kind of drunk at 10 o'clock in the morning on a plane flying back from Newfoundland, so I was really out of it. Um, probably not the right headspace to take on something like this, but I, I couldn't stand it. I thought it was terrible. And I thought, well, you know, I guess I'm not super surprised, you know, a band comes back after a decade, tries on a new sound, it doesn't work, you know, how many times have we heard that one before? But then a few days later, I was at my friend's house, and uh, he put the album on, and I was kind of hearing it from a fresh set of ears, you know, where I didn't have the expectations that I had before. And I was like, this is actually kind of interesting. And on the way home from his house that night, I, I listened to the record, kind of with a fresh set of mind, um, no morning airport beers in my system, and I was really intrigued by it. I actually kind of really liked it. It kind of clicked. Because if you go under the certain expectation of how something should sound, um, you're always going to get bit in the ass, right? So coming in with these fresh set of ears and a, a, a fresh perspective on what it was that they were trying to do, uh, I just, I got it. I understood what they were doing and to be honest, I fucking love it. Uh, I talked before when talking about the City of Caterpillar album about bands maturing and how that sound kind of changes once they mature. And this is another classic instance of a band maturing and growing up and kind of um, changing their music to adhere to who they are in their later stages of their life. So, you know, these guys are older guys now. They're probably mid-40s or so, and I'm sure the concept of writing and then subsequently performing 15-minute long prog opuses is probably not that appealing to them. Um, plus, not to mention, they've already done that. They have, like, six albums where they've done that already, you know? So, what this is instead is a pretty straightforward collection of rock, pop rock songs, essentially. And they've really taken influence from bands like uh, Steely Dan, for example. A lot of like what I would consider almost dad rock bands. In that, while the proggy elements are still kind of there, everything's really tightened up. And the focus isn't going on these long psychedelic head trips. The focus is on writing good songs. And while other Mars Volta records have been you know, concept albums where the whole record kind of feeds into itself and it's all about the whole experience. This is, without a doubt, their most song-based record. Um, there's only two songs that go beyond four minutes long. The rest are pretty short. There's like one that's less than two minutes long, a bunch that are just over two minutes long. Um, but it's really interesting because they managed to cram... The amount of ideas that you'd hear in one of their 10 minute long songs into these short little nuggets of pop songs basically. Uh, the music is definitely just as interesting if you ask me. Um, the songwriting is just as good if not better than ever. And you know these guys are just kind of 
jamming and, and making these fun songs that they want to play and they want to listen to at this point in their life. Um, so if you're coming to this Mars Volta record expecting another Deloused or another Francis the Mute or something like that, you're not going to get it. But to be fair, these aren't the same guys that made those records 15, 20 years ago, you know? Um, they're old now, they're mature, they've got families, um, and the music that they want to make is, is easy going, easy to listen to, easy to get into, easy to enjoy, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if the songs had sucked, then there'd be a problem, for sure. There'd be a lot of questions about what was the point of even coming back together, you know, like I mentioned before with City of Caterpillar, is this just another cash grab, you know, them trying to cash in on that nostalgia, but it absolutely isn't. I mean, it almost sounds like a completely different band, really. Um, I mean, obviously Cedric's vocals are unmistakably his, but he's singing with a clarity that he never really sang before. Uh, the instrumentals on this album are absolutely insane. Um, you know, obviously Omar is there playing his guitar and doing his thing, but the amount of different sounds and elements that go into the production of this record, it's actually really, really beautiful to just listen to. Um, and again, the fact that they managed to incorporate these really cool atmospheres and sounds and instruments and all this stuff into these short little two and a half, three minute long songs is really, really impressive. And I've gone from, you know, my first initial impression of hating this record and never wanting to listen to it again to you know certain songs on here being probably some of my most listened songs of the entire year like blank condolences i basically listened to on repeat for the past two weeks um, annoying the shit out of everyone around me listening to it over and over again but what can i say like it's such a good song that chorus incredible and there's a number of songs like that on this record um it's not as cohesive as their older ones, um, and I still don't think it's their best record. Delouse will always be their best record. I don't think anyone will disagree with that. But all that being said, it is really, really impressive that they've come back and managed to redefine their sound in this way and create music that they want to make. And after hearing it, this is the music that I want them to make too. And, you know, I, I feel bad for all these people that I see online who are, you know, not vibing with the record and calling them sellouts and all this kind of crap, like, just be happy that a band that you love is back making great music. Just because it's not the exact kind of music that you want them to make, whatever. They're still making it, and it's still good. So, you know, age with your bands would be my takeaway here, because you'll be able to get a lot more enjoyment out of their music than if you are stubborn and stuck in the past for how you think things should sound and not the way that they want them to sound. So coming in at number two we have the Mars Volta with the Mars Volta. Okay let's finish her off all right. Number one for September 22, 20, no, 22. Imagine? Yeah it's just it's just year 22 right now. Uh, September 2022 is Holy Fawn with Dimensional Bleed. I don't know why I said it that way, in such a way like I had a follow-up. I don't. Let me say it again. Holy Fawn, Dimensional Bleed. Uh, 
this right now is probably my album of the year. I'll just go ahead and say it right now. Um, this is music that really, really connects with me. Um, back in 2012, I think it was, there was this band called Snowman, uh, Australian band. And they made this record called Absence. And this was my favorite record of that year. And the whole record was kind of framed around uh, the context that the band was breaking up. They basically decided to break up and then they were going to make this one last record and that was going to be it. And they stuck to it. They haven't gone back together. But the whole concept of the record and the whole sound and identity of the record is like, this is a band that doesn't exist anymore. Um, the music was really ghostly and ethereal and like kind of culty and ritualistic based. Um, yeah, it sounded like ghost music. It's really the only way I can describe it. And it really, really connected with me at that time because uh, I was going through a series of, um, you know, interpersonal relationships that were kind of collapsing. And I could feel myself getting kind of distance from the people that I was close with at the time. And the record really spoke to me that way because, you know, it's a record that is inherently about the distance that gets created from people that you're um, disconnecting with. And that's not necessarily what this record is about, but I hear a lot of the same kind of ghostly, not quite there-ness in this record as I heard in that Snowman record. Um, it's the first time since that Snowman record that I've heard music that really felt the same way as that one did. Um, so Holy Fawn play this really interesting style of music that's kind of a mix of, uh, let's say, emo, shoegaze, and then like almost trip-hop, witch house even, and uh, black metal. So, I mean, it's really almost grown in the lab to please me. Um, but they managed to combine all these elements in a really tasteful way. Nothing seems stitched together. Uh, the songs all make sense the way that they're laid out and the way that they're composed and the way that they're produced. All these elements fit really nicely together and they make the songs make sense. Um, they find a way to meld all these genres together in a way that just fits and works, which is hard to do because it's quite quite a uh, vast list of uh, disparate genres there, but they really, really pull it off. Um, and the songs are fantastic, but I think what really makes this record special is the way that it's produced and just the way that it sounds. Um, you really feel like when you're listening to this that you're just kind of walking through a graveyard or like walking through a misty forest or something. And not in that like you know, Scandinavian, black metal, pure darkness kind of way, but in like a, you know, like, ethereal, like, you're just kind of floating by, watching things happen kind of way. So I guess it does have a lot of elements of dream pop in it as well, in that case. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to really talk about this record and, and, and describe why it's so powerful and meaningful to me, because it's something that I think is really personal. Um, 
it's a sound and a style that just really connects with me as a person you know it's like I seek out the elements that are in this album in everything that I listen to and they found a way to combine all the things that I like into one record really hard to do um and some of the build-ups on this are just some of the all-time best that I've heard especially in my favorite song um Sightless the way that this song builds and flows and eventually brings you to its climax is just like unlike anything that I've heard in a while the, the amount of emotion and just how powerful that climax is when you get to it is, is stunning um it's an amazing beautiful powerful record that um i'm sure i'll be listening to for the rest of my life i i, I don't think anything else has come out this year that has really moved me or touched me the way that this has and um i'm so grateful to have found it i've come across it uh you know i mentioned that you know in august i was kind of having a rough time um with some things and you know this record coming around it really helped it really uh and again i can't even describe why or, or how it did it but you know it's just so easy i think to uh feel alone and uh feel lost and you know, this record didn't solve any problems for me, for sure, but, you know, it, it, it resonated and it made me feel like it's possible that, you know, other people out there are experiencing the same thing that, that I am. Um, so I guess it's just nice to have that solidarity, you know, to feel like your emotions are valid and you know, there are people out there that are creating art that you can connect to even when you kind of feel disconnected from everything. So yeah, um, that's that. That's number one for September 2022. Holy Fawn, Dimensional Bleed. Once again, thank you everyone for sticking around and um, taking the time to listen to this. I think I went over 60. My bad. I tried. Um, we're coming close to the end of the year, so only a few months left and we will do our once again yearly wrap-up where we talk about my favorite records of the whole year. But we still have October, we still have November to get through until that happens, so... Looking forward to another few months of fantastic music and uh, another few episodes of rambling to you guys about it. Thank you. This is Phil May signing off. PHY.